Matthew chapter number 18 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 21. The Word of God says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time that you've given us. I pray that you give clarity to my thoughts and words. I pray, Father, that you would take the truth, wield it as your sword to divide asunder our soul and spirit. Father, that you would uh, do a work in us that only you can do. I know, Lord, that some of the things we preach on this morning are going to go to the depths of our soul. Father, except you do the work of peeling back the layers and prying out those issues, then it won't be done. So, Father, I just ask you, I plead with you, Father, to do the work that only you can do this morning. And we'll be sure and careful to give you the praise, honor, and glory for all that is done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The context of Matthew chapter number 18, the Lord has been speaking about how uh, conflict is to be resolved within the local body. Now, it may seem like a strange place, the book of Matthew, for the Lord to be talking about the church. I don't know really how much they understood about the church whenever He was speaking these things. And yet it is apparent from the verses preceding those that we read uh, that Christ is talking about the local church. He says in verse number 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more than in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if the, he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. He says down in uh, verse number uh, 19 and 20, he says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in uh, my name, there am I in the midst of them. So the Lord has been teaching about how conflict is to be resolved in the local church. 
And whenever he sets forth this principle of reconciliation, he says, listen, you need to go to those uh, that there's trespass in betwixt the two of you, and you need to uh, beseech them to reconcile with you, and when they do, you need to forgive one another. Uh, Peter opens his big mouth, amen? And uh, I love the Apostle Peter because he reminds me of me. He finds the worst possible time to open his mouth, and that's when he opens his mouth. And so he asks this question in verse number 21, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, isn't that interesting the way that he says it? He doesn't say, how many times should I expect forgiveness when I've sinned? He says, how many times should I be willing to forgive when someone else has sinned? Now, isn't that always the way we look at conflict? It ain't never us that's in the wrong. Somebody say amen to that. It's always somebody else that's done something wrong. And Peter listens to the instruction of the Lord. And the first question he has is this. All right, Lord, that's good. I ought to forgive. I understand that. But how many times should I be willing to forgive a person when they've sinned against me? And he had a real spiritual answer. He even recommended to the Lord, suggested how many it should be. Have you ever found yourself doing that in your prayer life? You know, talking to the Lord and you're just going to give Him a few pointers about how things ought to go. And that's how Peter does. He says, seven times? And he probably looked around at the other disciples and felt real spiritual that he'd be willing to forgive someone seven times that had trespassed against him. But the Lord responds in this way. He says, I didn't say seven times. He said, I would say this, how about 70 times 7? Now, I don't believe the Lord is saying that 490 is the limit here. Rather, I think we can understand that the term 7 identifies with the idea of completion and perfection and consummation in the Word of God. Uh, In other words, the number 7 is identified with things that are finished. And I think what the Lord's saying here is this, you ought to forgive until they're forgiven. So, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, you and I both know, let's just get real honest for a minute. Let's take our church masks off and let's admit that sometimes when we forgive folks, they ain't really as forgiven as we like to let on. Sometimes we tell them we've forgiven them, but uh, we have an invisible belt with invisible notches and we're taking note of it and they've uh, got a strike against them and we always hold them at an arm's length because they've hurt us before. The Lord Jesus says you ought to forgive them until they're forgiven. Now, there's a lot of things we're going to say about forgiveness this morning. But I've got one thing I want to say before we even get into the preaching. It ain't in my notes, but I think we just ought to say it. Forgiveness is an exercise in faith. Forgiveness is not an expression of feeling. Biblical forgiveness is not about waiting until you feel good about forgiving someone and then forgiving them. Biblical forgiveness is looking at someone and saying, regardless of how I feel about what they've done, because God has asked me to forgive them, I am going to, by faith, forgive them. Sometimes when we do that, you'll find this. There's times we try to forgive someone, but our flesh is weak and our flesh is infirm. And sometimes they continue to make mistakes and we struggle with that matter of forgiveness. How many times, preacher, should I keep trying to forgive someone? Seventy times seven. Forgive them till they're forgiven. Amen? Now, somebody out there is thinking this right now. I'm not a mind reader. I'm not a prophet. Amen? I mean, listen, I can't even read the newspaper, let alone your mind. But I would venture to say this, just knowing human beings like I know them, somebody is sitting there thinking right now, yeah, preacher, that's easy for you to say. But you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how many times that they've hurt me. Preacher, if you knew what I was going through, you wouldn't ask me to forgive them. Can I remind you this morning, I'm not the one asking you to forgive them. The Lord is. 
and He knows exactly what you've been through. You can't look at the God of all glory and say you don't know what it's like to be hurt, for they took and nailed Him to a cross. His own creation reared up in rebellion against the Creator and nailed Him to a rugged cross. Hey, if anybody knows what betrayal is, the Lord Jesus knows what it is. My own familiar friend lifted up his heel against me, the psalmist said, speaking about Judas. So let's go ahead and just admit forgiveness ain't easy, but forgiveness is commanded. And forgiveness is not about how you feel about forgiving somebody. Forgiveness is about having enough faith to trust God that He'll give you the grace and strength to forgive them because He's commanded you to forgive them. The Lord Jesus proceeds to convey a parable to His disciples, and that's where most of our preaching is going to be done this morning. But I would just like to remind you in the first two verses that we've read, verses 21 and 22, that the Lord Jesus lays forth that forgiveness is a commandment from God. And I think within this, there are four things that are implied that we can understand from this passage. I just want to give you as a little short introduction. Number one, we learn this, that forgiveness is possible. Sometimes we'll tell ourselves that we're not able to forgive someone. That is not the spiritual man speaking, that's the carnal man speaking. Forgiveness is not something that we do because we enjoy it. Forgiveness is something that we do because we owe it to the Lord. Amen? Uh, forgiveness is possible. So you'll tell yourself that you can't forgive someone. You'll tell yourself that you can't get over it. But here's the thing you have to understand. Once you take that old rotten stinking flesh and nail it to a cross and mortify it and put away the old man and begin to embrace the new man, you'll find that you'll be amazed what you can do. See, it's that old man that's upset about somebody offending them. It's that old man that's upset about somebody transgressing against them. Uh, and that old man is to be crucified with Christ, as Paul said. And so we ought to mortify the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the body. Forgiveness is possible. Let me say number two, and this is really going to make you angry. <laughs> no, I hope it doesn't, but, but it just might. Forgiveness is reasonable. Now, hey, if there's any place where our flesh is going to rear up and say, how dare you, preacher, you don't know what they've done, it's right there. But Christ says this, that He expects of His disciples to until 70 times 7. And let me say this, that the, the spiritual understanding of that phrase does not take away from the practical application of it. Just because He's saying you ought to forgive them till they're forgiven, that doesn't mean that that term, that, that, that number of 490 is some wild out there figure of speech. Now, there's very few people in this room ever had to forgive somebody for the same thing 490 times. But Christ says, if I ask it of you, then you ought to do it. Now, we've got to keep in mind who's asking it. Or else we'll rear up, we'll get rebellious. We'll start to bow up on God. We've got to remember who it is that's asking it. Forgiveness is a reasonable thing. Now, it may not be reasonable for the person that we're forgiving. And here's part of our problem. We associate our willingness to forgive with the worthiness of the person we're supposed to forgive. And we say, well, if they really mean it. Well, if they promise. Well, if they can guarantee they ain't never going to hurt me again. But that's not the way God forgave you and I. And so we are called upon. Forgiveness is reasonable. Let me say number three, forgiveness is reciprocal. And you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I don't mean this, that we ought to only forgive people if they forgive us. But I do mean this, that God has forgiven us. And because God has forgiven us, we owe it to forgive other people. Hey, listen, as with anything that God calls you to do, you've got to get the human element out of it before you can see it in a spiritual perspective. Your problem is you're looking at that person that's uh, wronged you. You ought to quit looking at the person that's wronged you. That ain't who this thing's about. This thing is about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll get your eyes on Him, then you'll see that 
He is worthy of you forgiving people in His name. The Apostle Paul conveyed this truth to the church at Corinth. Let me just read this verse to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, he said this, To whom ye forgave anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Now, stop think about this for a minute. Paul is writing a blank forgiveness check. He's saying, if you have forgiven anybody, I forgive them too. Now, somebody might say, Preacher, how could Paul say in that, not knowing what they've done? He didn't have to know what they did. He already knew what God had done in his life. And that's all that mattered. He says, I forgave it for your sakes in the person of Christ. I may not felt like forgiving them. They may not have been worthy of forgiveness. But I was able by submitting my spirit and life and attitude to Christ to forgive them, regardless of whether they deserve my forgiveness or not. Forgiveness is reciprocal. We don't forgive others because they deserve it. We forgive others because Christ deserves it, because He's forgiven us. And then I would just like to give you one more thing. Forgiveness is profitable. It's profitable not just for the person we're forgiving, but it's profitable for us. And we're going to see that before we close the message this morning. Now, there are three main themes to this message and to this parable that Christ gives. And I'll go ahead and give them to you before we preach it. The first thing we're going to see this morning is a sovereign's compassion. The Lord, when He could have condemned a man, He had compassion on a man. And then we're going to see a servant's cruelty. How did that servant take what God had done or what His Lord had done in his life and minister it in the lives of others? He didn't minister it. And then finally, and I hate to say this, but we'll close with a sorrowful conclusion. Amen. Maybe if I preach long enough, you'll be happy about me closing either way. But the way this parable ends is heartbreaking. Now, I want you to think about these three thoughts with me. Look at verses 23 and 24, and I want you to notice how this all begins. Christ says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now let me pause there, and I want you to notice that. He says, if you'll just give me a little time, I'll pay it. But that's not what the Lord of of this servant did in verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. Of course, this is a picture of what God has done for us of Calvary. Uh, We see first off the great debt that this man had incurred. Now, uh, we don't walk around and pay with talents today, amen? And so, it may be a little unfamiliar to you, the usage of that term, talent. The Bible says that this man owed his Lord 10,000 talents. And sometimes it's easy to think of a talent as maybe being a coin or a piece of uh, money or a denomination. But do you know that a talent is not actually a piece of money? A talent is a weight measurement. One talent is equivalent to 75 pounds. Now, whenever Christ told this parable, there were two main precious metals that were used in the conference of money. And that was silver and gold. I did a little bit of math. Well, I didn't do it. The Internet did it for me. Somebody say amen. But I did a little bit of math about how much this would be. Again, when we hear that 10,000 talents, we think $10,000. But that's not the, the, the case. In fact, a talent is 75 pounds. Now, uh, if you're buying your silver and gold by the pound, me and you need to have a talk. I've got some needs you need to meet. 
We don't buy gold by the pound nowadays. In fact, most of the time we either buy it by the gram or sometimes by the ounce. In fact, we call it a troy ounce. I don't know who Troy was, but he sure had a lot of money. And we call it a troy ounce. And I want to give you just a little bit of figures here. One troy ounce of silver, as of today, is worth $16.36. That's one ounce. Now, in a talent, which is 75 pounds, there are 1,093 troy ounces. That means this, that one silver talent would be worth today $17,881. You might say, well, preacher, that doesn't sound that bad. My car costs more than that. But remember, it wasn't one talent that this man owed. It was 10,000 talents that this man owed. That means in today's money, if it was silver, this man would have owed $178,810,000. If we reckon it in gold, are you ready? You know, that silver is worth something, but that gold, gold is right now worth approximately $1,311 a troy ounce. With 1,093 troy ounces in one talent, that means that one gold talent would have been worth $1,432,923. I keep saying dollars because I ain't used to all them commas in the numbers I'm talking about. Amen. Usually when I'm talking about my bank account, after about two or three numbers, I'm into the decimals. Amen? $1,432,923. 10,000 gold talents in today's money would be $14,329,230,000. Preacher, what are you driving at? I'm saying this. It wasn't no pocket change. This man owed a great debt that was beyond his means ever pay. And now when we consider this servant's actions, it's easy to look at it and say, oh, preacher, how could this man ever do anything other than just run and shout and rejoice and tell everybody about the goodness of his Lord that he had forgiven him so great of a debt? Oh, wait a minute now. You and I had a debt far bigger than that ever was. When we came to Calvary, hey, it couldn't be measured in pennies or dollars or bills. It couldn't be measured in gold and silver and precious stones. The Bible says we're not redeemed with silver and gold and corruptible things, but we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. I'm saying this, that your sin debt and my sin debt was far greater and far bigger and far insurmountable than that man's debt ever was. We owed a big debt. We owed a debt that couldn't have been paid with a billion talents. We owed a debt that uh, were you to mine every speck and molecule of gold out of every hill and out of every vein within this earth. It couldn't have even touched the sin debt that you owed and that I owed. We owed a great debt. Then I want you to notice in this passage there is a great disparity. This man, I don't know how he got in this mess, but somehow he wound up owing all this money. And... The Bible makes it clear in verse number 25, but for as much as he had not to pay. This man couldn't pay. And in fact, we acknowledge this, that this man, even if him and his wife and his children had been sold, it still couldn't have paid the debt. This is something a lot of people miss. They think that if they come to Calvary, uh, they have to accept Christ, then they have to work real hard to maintain their salvation, supplement that, that sin debt payment a little bit. But don't you understand that if you lived your life in utter perfection, if you from uh, this moment to the day that you died never committed another sin, it wouldn't even come close to scratching the surface of the debt that you owe to God. 
There's nothing that you could do. I've uh, conveyed this to you before, but I'll illustrate it again. Has it ever not dawned on you that when a person dies and goes to hell, they die and go to hell forever? I don't know about you, but whenever I took out a loan on my house, there was a term to that loan. Uh, Thirty years, it ought to be paid off. Amen? And if we don't get into trouble, somebody say amen to that. Uh, When I took that debt, there's an end to that term because it can be paid off. Those of you that are young, you bought houses, and you're looking at that big old long debt stretching out for the next 30 years of your life, it seems impossible. You look at it, man, you get your mortgage statement, and you're like, I ain't paying nothing but interest, like for the first 20 years, amen? And it's discouraging. But there is an end to that debt. It can be paid. And at the end of that term, if you're faithful with your payments, it'll be paid off. But when a person dies and goes to hell, they die and go to hell eternally. The Bible says the smoke of their torment rose forever and ever, the book of Isaiah says. Uh, Whenever uh, the rich man was in hell and he lifted up his eyes and uh, talked to Abraham, uh, Abraham said, hey, there's a great chasm between you and me, and I can't get to you, and you can never get to me. The fact is that rich man is in hell today, and he's not paid one penny off of his sin debt. And people that have died without Christ, doesn't matter if it was a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago or five thousand years ago, they're in hell today and haven't paid a penny of their sin debt. Your baptism can't pay it. Your good works can't pay it. Your empty promises to God can't pay it. There's nothing that you and I can do to pay that debt. We are helpless. We are bankrupt. We are impoverished in spiritual terms. There's nothing we can do to pay that debt. There was a great disparity, but man, I'm glad for this next verse. Oh my, when I, man, when I get to thinking, and you just, you just forgive me if I just enjoy the Lord for a moment. When I get to thinking about how steep my sin debt was, when I get to thinking about how broke I was spiritually, how bankrupt I was, and then when I think of what the Master did for me, when I think of what the Lord of glory did for me, just a ten-year-old boy knelt down, heartbroken in his bedroom, and the God of the universe peered into that little bedroom and ministered grace into my heart and washed my sins away and saved me. Oh, what a God we have. Oh, what a Savior. (laughs) He's wonderful and glorious, choir. He's wonderful and glorious. Look at what this Lord did in verse number 27. The Bible says in verse 26, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. That's not what the Lord was looking for. Because here's the thing, if there was a chance that that servant could have paid off that debt, he would have never been threatened to sell him into uh, debtor's prison in the first place. He would have just let him stay there and continue to pay that debt. The reason he was going to sell him into debtor's prison is because he could never pay that off. The Lord wasn't looking for that. But what he was looking for was some contrition, some humility. Hey, the Bible says that a contrite uh, spirit the Lord will not despise. You know, there's a lot of people going to die and go to hell defiant in their spirit. That's okay. I think this is where we ought to hit for just a second. You got to listen. The Bible says about Christ that He is that, that stone. He is that rock. And you're either going to be broken on Him or you're going to be ground to dust underneath Him. That's your choice. You can go, listen, you can leave this world shaking your fist at God and telling Him you don't need Him and telling Him you're all right on your own, telling Him to keep an arm's length from you. But that defiant spirit won't reconcile you to the God of heaven. The only thing is contrition. The only thing is a humble spirit. The only thing is bowing the heart and the knee before Christ. Saying, Lord, I can't pay the debt. It's bigger than I can pay. I can't even put a dent in it. But if you'll come to Him, 
If you'll say, Lord, I can't do it, do it for me. Look what it says in verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. (laughs) There was a great deliverance that took place that day. This man's debt was wiped away. You know what I find interesting, too? Anytime there's a debt, and this is something young people, Economics 101, you ready? There ain't nothing free. If somebody gives you something, they took it from somebody else. Uh, that's how it goes. I mean, uh, the, you can create wealth, but I'm saying there ain't no free lunches. Amen? Uh, if, if someone comes along and says, well, I'm going to just give this to you, and they have no means of producing wealth. And, and let me say this, the government has no means of producing wealth. The government is not a producer of wealth. The government can print wealth, but it can't produce wealth. And as such, when the government comes along and says, we're just going to give this to you, that means they're going to take it from somebody else first. Economics 101, no free lunches. And life teaches us this in a cruel way. I just remind you of this. This man's debt, uh, it, wasn't, it didn't just evaporate. What happened? The Lord absorbed it. He absorbed it. Hey, that debt was still owed to him, but what did he do? He forgave it. He absorbed it. The Lord took the loss so the servant could go free. When God saved you and me, hey, I I must not be getting through to you or somebody be shouting about this. When God saved you and me, our debt did not evaporate. It was obliterated by the righteousness of Christ. God absorbed our sin debt when He put His Son on the cross and smote Him in judgment and in wrath. And that debt, it didn't just disappear, friend. It was paid for on the cross of Calvary. Man, there was a great deliverance took day that day. Uh, it took place that day for that servant. There was great deliverance that took place in your life the day that you got saved. Now, can I ask you something? How did that change the way that you live? I didn't say, how did that change the way you were living? I said, how does that change the way that you live today? Sadly, there's a lot of us that when we got saved, it changed our lives dramatically. But somehow over the years, we've started to slip back into old habits and old behavior. We've started to adopt and embrace the philosophy of the world and the way that we operate and the way that we live and view things. And this servant, I think we can all be shocked by what he did. And that was the intent of this parable. Christ wanted his disciples to be disgusted with the behavior of this servant. You know why? Because this is what happens when we refuse to forgive in our life. I want you to notice first off the servant's focus. Look at verse number 28. The Bible says, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pence, best as we can tell, is about $16 in today's money. $16. Where was this servant's focus? You would have thought this servant would have ran out of the presence of the Lord, shouting and rejoicing and saying, Hey, let me tell you how good that my Lord has been to me. But instead, he walks out and he says, You know, that boy over there owes me $16. He was carnal, he was selfish, he was self-centered, and he was temporal in his perspective. He walked out of there, and instead of thinking about the $14 billion he had just been forgiven of, he was worried about the $16 somebody owed him. A lack of forgiveness. And here, I'm going to say something to make you feel better. We're all guilty of it. All right? We're all guilty of it. Don't get all super spiritual and act like you don't have trouble forgiving people. We're all guilty of it. But when we don't forgive, it's selfish. 
our focus is on us. How we've been aggrieved, how we've been done wrong, how we've been trampled upon, how our honor has been impugned. We're not thinking about anybody but us. We stub up, we all do it, we stub up and we say, well, uh, people just don't realize what happened to me. People don't realize how they treated me. People don't realize what they did to me. And have you ever noticed how many times you have to say me to say those things? Sixteen dollars! This man was qualming over. You'd think he would have ran out. And this is how Christians ought to be. You would have thought he would have ran out, found that fella, hugged him around the neck, give him a holy kiss and said, don't you ever worry about that sixteen dollars. Hey, I've been made a billionaire today because there was a debt I couldn't pay that was paid on my behalf. I've been given my freedom, my liberty, and I just want you to know how good the Lord is. And I don't want you to ever worry about that $16, because after all, it's just $16. Because after all, all it was was an insult. After all, all it was was somebody said something about you. After all, I mean, hey, it ain't like they lived their whole life in direct, abject rebellion against you and cursed your name and lived contrary to you. And then when you gave to them and sacrificed for them, they spit upon you, they hated you, they nailed you to a cross. They ain't done that to you. They've just insulted you. They've just hurt your feelings. After all, it's just $16. The servant's focus. And you know what he did in light of that? I want you to notice his fierceness. If I had my way, we'd just sit there and preach on that for a long, long time, but the Holy Ghost won't let me. Look at verse 28. The Bible says, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. Notice his fierceness. He ain't just owed $16. He's mad about it. Let me tell you something. Unforgiveness will ruin your Christian spirit ruin your Christian spirit. And we'll say a little bit about this before we close, but I would just mind you of this, that isn't it funny, uh, we cannot care about anything. Hey, listen, uh, like uh, four, uh, 40 million, I think, unborn children have been murdered since Roe v. Wade. We don't care about that. That, don't e- that won't even make us, uh, you know, put down our cup of coffee. But somebody says something ugly to us, and we're ready to grab them by the throat. It warps our perspective of justice and rightness. There's things we ought to be tore up about, friend. We ought to be upset about. But then there's a lot of things. They're just peddly. They're just nothing. And we take them personally. And we get angry. And we get vicious. And we're going to put our hands on that person. We're going to make them do right. And we're going to show them. Well, it doesn't show them. All it does is show everybody else what's in your heart. We see the servant's fierceness. But then I want you to notice the servant's forgetfulness. Verses 29 and 30, the Bible says, His fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now, let's stop and do an exercise. Can we do that? Verse 26, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Verse uh, 29, And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Let's do it again. Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Verse number 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Boy, don't we have short memories when somebody's wronged us. We see the servant's forgetfulness. Now, again, and the intent of the Lord is to show us the reality of our unwillingness to forgive. But it's shocking. 
If you were a fly on the wall, if you were walking down the street, let's say you were walking through this Lord's palace, you're, you're one of His other servants, and you heard this man, he's down on his face pleading just for a little more time to pay this debt, and the Lord forgives him of it, you would have probably thought, whew, boy, what a day for him. Man, he's going to be excited. Man, he's going to rejoice. And if you follow that servant, you just happen to be walking the same direction, and he walks straight out the door of his master and goes and finds another fellow servant. He's got his hands around his throat, and he's throttling him, saying, pay me that $16. And here's this other fellow servant falling down saying, hey, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. And that fellow says, no, I'm not going to do that. You'd be scratching your head. You'd be saying, how could that man so soon forget the forgiveness that was shown to him? How could he so soon forget the grace that was administered in his life? And Christ looks at you and me today and He says, how could you so soon forget When we came to Christ, we didn't deserve forgiveness. Man, I didn't deserve anything but hell. I didn't deserve His attention. I didn't deserve His love. I didn't deserve His grace. And by the way, I didn't come with anything to pay. Hey, listen, I'm like the old songwriter. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I didn't have nothing in my pockets when I came to God. I was a ten-year-old boy that couldn't give God anything except His sins. And I came unworthy, and I fell before Him, and I said, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. And I can't save me. Please save me and forgive me. And the universe shifted. And the God of glory rose up from His throne and wretched down and cleansed my heart and redeemed my soul. And it didn't benefit Him a bit. He just did it because God is love. And then we're going to look at somebody that owes us $16. And we're going to say, I can find no forgiveness for you. We're going to look at somebody that said something ugly to us and say, I'm sorry, you've gone a step too far. We're going to look at somebody that told a lie on us and say, I'm sorry, I have no room to forgive you. Somebody that gossiped about us and say, no, I'm sorry. It's just too big for me to forgive. Man, how quick we forget. This is the reason I said, and I don't know if you believe me or not when we began the message, but we said that forgiveness is reasonable. It's not reasonable relative to the worthiness of the person, relative to the commitment of the person, relative to the promises they make. It is reasonable only and because of Calvary. Listen, if it were not for Calvary, then maybe we could stub up and say, how dare you ask me to forgive that person that did me wrong? But in light of Calvary, God has every right to look and say, hey, I forgave you. You ought to forgive them. Paul expresses it this way in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. He said in verse 31-32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. That's God saying, hush. That's what that is. You all right? Everybody got, everybody got weird. That's what God's saying. He's saying, hush up now. Settle down. Put away from you with all malice. It says, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Preacher, I can't forgive them. Yes, you can. You can forgive them because Christ can forgive them. If you do it in the person of Christ, you can forgive them. Now, if you do it in the person of yourself, in your own strength, then you won't be able to forgive them. 
But if you can exercise faith in the Word of God and say, Lord, I don't know that I and myself can do this, but if you've asked it of me, then I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to trust that you can minister forgiveness and grace in my heart and enable me to be able to forgive them until they're forgiven. Well, I want to close with this sorrowful conclusion. What happened to this man? Well, look at verse 31. The Bible says, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. I want you to notice first off that his peers were disturbed by his behavior. The other servants looked and said, Man, that ain't right. That's not right. They looked at it and they said, He must not appreciate what his Lord did for him. Unforgiveness can destroy your testimony. By the same token, one of the strongest elements of our Christian testimony is the capacity to forgive others the way Christ has forgiven us. You want to reach your lost co-workers? Have, have a spirit of forgiveness. Hey, you want to reach your family members that are lost? Learn how to love them and forgive them. There's no greater display of the grace of God than forgiveness on the behalf of Christ. The grace of God is forgiveness in the person and on the behalf of Christ. When we can learn to forgive, then it safeguards our testimony. When we are unwilling to forgive, you know what the natural implication is? Well, I guess God's forgiveness must not mean much because they don't even forgive people. People say things like this. You don't like to think that they do. You may not even believe that they do. But they think things like this. If that's what forgiveness is to them, I don't want their God's forgiveness. If God's going to forgive me and then just dangle it over my head and, and rake me over the coals and treat me second class, then I'm not interested in that. Now, you don't have to accept that that's the reality or not, but it is the reality. Now, it's true they're going to stand before God. It's true they shouldn't use it as an excuse. It's true they're going to have to deal with the Lord. He's Him with whom we have to deal. But it doesn't change the fact. Lots of people die and go to hell on flimsy excuses. And a lot of times our lack of forgiveness can be that flimsy excuse. His peers were disturbed. Let me say number two, his potentate. That's another word for a king. His potentate was displeased. Look at verse 32. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? You know what should have troubled him more than anything? Is that his Lord was displeased. And by the way, the, the greatest impact that was had through his lack of forgiveness was not what his fellow servants thought, but it was what his Lord thought. His Lord was the one that turned him over into the debtor's prison. We find that his master, his Lord, was displeased. God is displeased when we refuse to forgive. Now somebody's going to say, but preacher, sometimes I have a hard time with it. What does God think about that? Well, God pities you as a father pitieth his children. And when we sin and when we struggle with sin, God doesn't throw us away. But sin does separate and break our communion with God. Sin does disrupt and disturb our communion with God. He doesn't throw us away. We don't lose our salvation. We didn't purchase our salvation in the first place. But it does disrupt and disturb our communion with Him. We can't be in fellowship with Him. This is what people miss. They look at this and they say, oh, that's where you'd lose your salvation. No, that's not what it says. Notice, uh, and this isn't even where I'm at, but look at verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts uh, forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Uh, The Father didn't cease to be the Father. The brethren didn't cease to be the brethren. When we sin, uh, He don't cease to be our Father. The brethren don't cease to be our brethren. 
That doesn't mean there's not consequences for us having and harboring sin in our hearts and our lives. And I'm saying this, if you refuse to forgive, it'll affect your walk with God. It'll affect your walk with God. You think you're getting that person, but you're not getting them. You're getting you. You're not hurting them. You're hurting you. It may hurt them. It may trouble them. It may break their hearts. But before and beyond all of that, the God of glory is troubled and disturbed at our lack of forgiveness. I'll give you one more thing. I'll be done this morning. I see that not only were his peers disturbed and his potentate was displeased, but I see that his peace was disrupted. Look at verses 34 and 35. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to, notice this, the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. We preached, I don't know, it was last week or the week before. People ask me sometimes, what did you preach on last week? I don't have a clue. I have to get in and look at the archives to remember. Uh, but I believe it was last week we preached on Nathan and David and Bathsheba. And we talked about how interesting it was that in Nathan's parable, he personified the, the traveler when he did not have to. Can I say this, that if the Lord had wanted to, He could have merely said in this passage that this servant was disturbed or had his peace robbed or was troubled or could have even said was tormented. Because that's not what He says. He personifies the torment. And He says that this man was delivered over to the tormentors. And until that debt was paid, they tormented him. Now, I'm just going to be very honest. I'm going to be very forthright here. If you're unwilling to forgive, it's going to wreck your spiritual life, and it's going to make you ugly and sorry and bitter and nasty. You're going to live a life of torment. You're going to spend all your time laying in bed, turning from one side to the other, trying to figure out how it went wrong, trying to figure out how you can get back at them, and you're going to have a miserable life. Your peace will be disturbed and disrupted if you're unwilling to forgive. Now listen, the reason we forgive is not because that person is owed our forgiveness, because they're probably not. We don't forgive because they promise they'll never do it again, because if we're being honest, they probably will. We forgive because we want to maintain a close walk with God. And we forgive because we want to have the peace of God reigning and ruling in our lives. Now listen, it ain't about that person. If you think it's about that person, you'll never forgive. If you think it's about you, you'll never forgive. But if you can make it about Christ, then you'll find the strength and the grace to forgive. I don't know what God may have done in your heart this morning, but I do hope you'll respond in obedience.